open our Bibles to First Peter, chapter three. First Peter, chapter three. While you find that, I'm just going to cool off a little bit. First Peter, chapter three. Now, as we've been going through this epistle. Um, you will know that we've been reminded over and over again that the people that this was written to um, were actually going through some very tough times, the initial audience of this epistle. Now, I won't go into all of the detail again today, um, but these people were mocked. They were treated very unjustly simply for believing in Christ and in the resurrection and everything that goes along with it. And as I mentioned on, in previous occasions, these people were really violently persecuted. And you can go, go read up on the history about that. It was really terrible, the things that these people faced. And they, they also faced a lot of hostility just in general from the people living in the Roman Empire at the time. And so Peter set out to write this letter uh, to these people. And you will find that in chapter 1. Um, I think it's verse 1 and 2, but these people that were scattered um, all out the Roman Empire to encourage them and to give them some instructions on how they should live in this world that was so hostile towards Christians. And I think that it is absolutely relevant to us, even, even today, even though we don't necessarily undergo or, or experience the same type of hostility from people around us, or the same type of violent persecutions. Um, we are certainly not persecuted at all, like these people were. Uh, but you know, in some parts of this world, believers are actually facing that type of persecution and hostility against them simply because they're Christians today. That is happening today. It happens a lot. And I, I think that we shouldn't be under the impression that that type of persecution and hostility can't come our way as well. Um, it most certainly can, and I think it is fair to say that as the cu culture over here and in the West in general is moving towards a more pagan and uh, atheistic belief system, that we are starting to see more and more hostility towards Christians. Now, once again, we are not being violently persecuted. Okay, I'm not under any, what's it, false idea like that. And I also don't want to be an alarmist today. That's not the point of what I'm saying. But I have noticed that when comments are being made about Christians, and perhaps you've seen this as, as well in the news media, TV, movies, on the internet, on internet forums, and so on, these comments uh, a lot of times have an element of contempt in them for Christians. I don't know if you've seen that. Perhaps you have. Or Christians are made out to be idiots, you know, simply because we believe the Bible. And, of course, the teachings of the Bible is contrary to the teachings of the world. And so these people get angry at us for believing these things. And they think that we are stupid for clinging to the Word of God. It's the same type of thing that, that Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians. Now, folks, that's just part of the machinery that, that needs to work to turn society against Christians. Now, I have no idea how far this will go or how long it will take until we see this irritation with Christians turn into something much worse. All right? 
but I think that, is, that it is likely at some point in the future, perhaps not in our lifetimes, but in some point in the future, Christians will find themselves perhaps all over the world, facing increasing hostility from unbelievers around them and also from the civil authorities and so on. I think that's realistic. You just need to keep your eyes and ears open to to see this kind of thing already working in the world. And so last time, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 3. We we went from verse 8 down to verse 12 where Peter told them how how they could live a good life. And obviously we saw the application to our lives, how we can live a good life here while we're still here, despite all of the problems coming our way. And our passage of the day continues from there. Uh, We're going to start from verse 13, um, where Peter gives everybody that wants to live a godly life in this world, in this world that is so hostile to the mere idea of Christianity, he gives them some solid, practical instruction on how to live that godly life. But before we go into our text, let's just bow our heads and we pray and we ask the Lord to bless the service. Father, we we thank you for being with us again today. Lord, like like you've always been. You're always so faithful in being here and in being with us and in teaching us. Lord, help us, all of us, to be faithful today in opening up our ears and our hearts to hear what you want to say to us today through your word and through your spirit. Lord, please bless, bless this entire service. Thank you for the good singing Lord, thank you. thank you for the message that we could get from Brother Mike and um, to hear that he's encouraged, Lord. It, it also encourages us to hear what's going on over there. And um, we just want to ask that you will please come and speak to us today and give us something to implement in our lives starting today. Thank you for all that you do. Amen. Amen. So we're in First Peter chapter 3, and let's get there from verse 13. He says that, so that continues obviously from from the previous stuff that we read, and who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, and I think that's what we're going to look at today. But ju- just read verse 13 again with me. He says, And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? Now, remember, as I just said, in this context, Peter is giving these people instruction, or he's giving us instruction on how to live a good life. You can get that again from verse 8 and 9, well, actually down to verse 12. And so he now asks them this rhetorical question. Who is he that will harm you if he be followers of that which is good? Now, of course, as rhetorical questions go, the answer is implied in the question. You see, it's really unusual for people, even if they are hostile towards Christians or Christianity in general, to harm somebody who tries to be good to those around them. I I think you can agree with that. You know, it serves as a kind of I want to call it a breaking system for the hostility that they have against us because most people appreciate it when somebody has a reputation of doing good to others, especially if they've been receiving some of that goodness. (laughs) Paul also made this point back in Romans chapter 12. 
in verse 20 to 21. You know, he, he was in there in that context. He's making the point that we should not be returning evil for evil, like Peter says here in verse 9, not rendering evil for evil. We shouldn't be doing that, and that we should leave revenge or vengeance to the Lord uh, because He will repay the, the evil that people do. And then as a remedy for that email, oh, oh email, really? For, <laughs> wow, where did that come from? <laughs> as a remedy for the evil <laughs> committed against us, he said there, and I'll just read it for you. It's uh, Romans 12, verse 20 and 21. Wow, that was silly. He says, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. That's, that's already a crazy thought, eh? If your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, thou shalt reap, or, or shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And then in verse 21, he says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And I, that's so counterintuitive, isn't it? I mean, we spoke about this last time, but I think that the natural reaction for somebody when evil is done against them is to react, and I think to take revenge on them. I mean, you see it in little kids, don't you? Okay? You've hit me. Oh, I hit you back. That's just how it works. Done. Okay? You also see it in gyms and all of these other places, but we won't go into that. But that's a natural reaction. But we as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, are called to a higher standard than that. Much higher. The Lord told us to love our enemies. And to pray for them. He, he, he told us to be good to them. If they're hungry or thirsty, give them something to eat and drink. And by doing that, you will overcome evil with good. It makes me think of, you know, um, what John wrote in John chapter 1. He said that uh, the light shone in the darkness, talking about the Word coming, coming to earth. And I, uh, we spoke about that, when was that last week? But... Um, coming down, and the light shone in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And when, when he says comp the darkness comprehended it not, he means that the darkness didn't overcome that light, because good will always overcome the evil, and the good of Jesus obviously overcomes the evil of the world and the devil and all of that. But folks, this is why Peter asks here if anybody will harm you if you are good to them, and if you have a reputation of doing good to others. You know, of course they wouldn't. It, it, it just wouldn't make sense for somebody to do something like that. You know, to hurt somebody who is generous or compassionate or courteous or loving. Um, that's basically everything that it means, uh, you know, to, to be good. That's, that's, like I said earlier, that's part of what we looked at last time when we were in this epistle. But then, here in verse 14, which we're going to read now, Peter recognizes the possibility. There is a possibility that somebody might still harm you despite you uh, being good to others. Okay, look at verse 14. He says, But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. So he says, listen, it can still happen that, that, that somebody makes you suffer, even though it is unlikely if you're a person that is focused on being good to others. You see, doing good is not a guarantee that you won't ever go through suffering for what you believe in. You know, 
It's, it's never a guarantee. Just look at the life of Jesus. I mean, Jesus did good wherever he went. And at the end, what did that get him? <laughs> they were hostile to him throughout all of his ministry. They were hostile to him. And in the end, they eventually killed him. So it's not a guarantee. Don't think that you are safeguarded against persecution if you are just good to people. Okay? It helps, but that's, that's not a guarantee. You know, Jesus himself said that the servant is not greater than the master. So if they did those things to him, we can obviously expect those things um, to, to happen to us. So, you know, we can't expect to escape that suffering as well. And that's why Peter says here in verse 14, but and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake. So no reasonable person will harm you if you do good, you know, even if they are your enemy. But it might happen despite your expectations and despite you being, being good. So be ready for that. You know, these believers that Peter was writing to had to deal with these type of things. It was happening in their lives. They were seeing it in front of their faces. And so believers today should not be surprised or afraid if any of this happens to them or to us. Peter says here, if it does happen that you suffer for living a good, godly life, then what does he say there in the middle? He says, happy are ye. You see that? Happy are ye. How can that possibly make me happy? <laughs> you know, if, if I do good things and, and, and people start to falsely accuse me and I suffer unjustly, how on earth can that make me happy? Well, part of the answer is that this, this just has a great effect on you. You know, Peter writes, maybe we can read that. Listen to uh, chapter 5, verse 10. We'll just see what he writes there. 5 verse 10, he says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. God will use that suffering that you go through to produce a strength of character within you that you just won't get any other way. And this is not a foreign idea to the rest of the New Testament writers, you know. One instance is James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. I'll just read it for you. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. What are these temptations? These are trials and temptations, you know, going through suffering, unjust suffering, and so on. He says in verse 3 there, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You see, this type of suffering brings a blessing to the life of the believer. Now, I'm not going to pretend that it is fun to go through this kind of persecution or that, uh, that the emotional and physical pain and suffering that a person goes through while he's persecuted is nothing. I'm not going to do that because it's not. You know, the reality of the situation is it can get really bad, like really, really bad. But now, when Peter says, happy are ye, he's echoing the words of Jesus. And, you know, and I'm going to show it to you, or well, I'm going to read it to you now. But an alternative tr translation of this word that is translated as happy are ye is blessed. So you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? He spoke about this very thing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 to 12. I'll read it to you once again. He says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
Sounds exactly what Peter said here. Maybe that's because, well, Peter was there. <laughs> He's just echoing what Jesus said. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Jesus also um, calls those that suffer unjustly for his sake blessed. He's calling it blessed. Because, why? Because they are following in the footsteps of other righteous men that came before them, including Jesus himself. You know, if we suffer unjustly today, we're following in Jesus' footsteps. And folks, it's an enormous honor and privilege to share in that suffering of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter ends our verse 14 by saying, uh, where's that? He says, And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. So don't be afraid of these people that threaten you with all sorts of harm because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's actually something that you can experience right now. People may actually threaten you with some harm. Um, and it does happen, even here in South Africa. But simply because you're preaching in Jesus and you preach Him as the only way uh, to be saved. And don't worry about it all the time. You know, I've, I've spoken to a few Christians, quite a few Christians, that are watching the things that are going on in, in this world, and that's good, we should do that. But man, they, they, they start to wring their hands together, you know, and they start to worry about these things, and, and they are afraid of what they see coming. And there's no reason to be worried like that. Not at all. You are just wearing yourself out. You know, when did Jesus ever tell us to be worried or afraid? Did he? He never did. No, he didn't. And we just read that. Do not be, be not afraid of their terror. Neither be troubled. Don't be worried. You know, don't we read there in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Okay? We don't need to worry about those people or what they might do to us, because the one that is in us is much greater than any of them, and all of them combined. So whenever persecution starts, folks, we can, we can face those circumstances with courage. We really can. It's not something that anybody should go out and look for. I would not recommend that. But if that suffering arrives at your do doorstep one day, and it, it, it might, you can look at it, and you can see it as an opportunity to get closer to God and to receive blessings from Him. And then you can rejoice in that, that you are getting closer to God, you're being established in the faith, your faith is growing, and it can actually, it can actually be, weird as it sounds, but it can actually be a joyous time. Folks, that's not the time to get afraid and to compromise on everything that you believed up to that point when that persecution started. You should, should be established before that. You know, a prime example of this is a man called Martin Luther, and most of you might know that name. I don't know how many of you know his story. I know there are varied opinions on the man and on his life and on his writing. Um, I don't want to look at that today, but just in short, you know, he was a, he was a Catholic monk, uh, a Roman Catholic monk, uh, and he lived... 500 and so years ago. 
And as he studied the Bible by himself, he, he really wanted to study the Bible, he became more and more disillusioned with the Roman Catholic Church and its practices. And so he wrote a bunch of books and pamphlets, and he had you know, a cartoonist draw up cartoons because the people couldn't read, so they could look at pictures, to spread this message. Um, and he, he was criticizing those practices of the Roman Catholic Church and, and even specific people that, that lied about the things of God, including the Pope himself. And you can just imagine um, how bad that was for the people in that day. He also highlighted the corruption that was happening in the church and how the church was actually stealing money from the poorest of the poor people. And so in the year 1521, the Roman Emperor Charles V summoned Martin Luther to appear before the Diet of Worms in, in Germany. Now, I know that sounds weird, the Diet of Worms. You know, Pietro asked me last night, I should just explain this. <laughs> but a diet is just an assembly, you know, or, or it's, a type, it's a meeting. Diet of Worms, and Worms is, is a city in Germany. And this diet, or this assembly, turned out to be a heresy trial with Luther as the defendant. Now, he knew that this meant trouble. Of course he did. You know, after, after everything and after the things he's heard and the th things he's, did, he's done, this is after the 95 theses that he nailed, nailed against the church wall or the door. And he knew that if he was found guilty of being a heretic, he would be excommunicated or kicked out of the church and even possibly executed because of that. And so he traveled from Wittenberg where he lived all the way to, to Worms. I hope I'm, pre I'm pronouncing that right. But he was preaching all the way <laughs> in every single town and village that he found on the way to this meeting. He, he kept on preaching. He was fearless in that. He was fulfilling verse 14 that we read here, don't be afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. And so there in Worms, the prosecutor, a man with the name of Johann Eck, um, laid out all of Luther's books on a table and he read out the names, and, and then he posed two questions to Luther. The first question was, are these your books? The second question was, will you recant these writings? Now, to recant means to say, okay, yeah, I made a mistake. These are not true. You know, let's just burn all the, all the books. Basically, that's, that's, that's what it means, you know. And it, obviously, they especially wanted him to recount the things that was critical about the Catholic Church and all of that, which was basically all of it. And so, he answered the first question by acknowledging, yes, they are my books. And knowing how big and how big the consequences were and how heavy it was uh, to answer the second question, he asked if he could just have some time to think about a proper response. So, can we, you know, just asking, can we adjourn until, until tomorrow? To, uh, so that I can give him a response. And so they granted him that. And when he came back the next day, he answered the question of whether he would recant those writings. And it was a long speech. And it, it's, a, it's a very famous speech that you can go look up. But I just want to read to you the last part of this speech. He says, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Scriptures or by clear reason... For I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the Scriptures. The Scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. 
I cannot and I will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. That takes a lot of courage to do, doesn't it? Wow. You know, I, I wonder if you thought about First Peter chapter 3, verse 14, you know, when, he pre- when he was preparing this statement. I, I don't know, but folks, you see, if you set your affections on things that are above, as we read in Colossians 3, verse 2, then you have no reason to fear those people that are trying to hurt you or to harm you or to persecute you, whatever you want to call it, because you've got the Lord on your side. And it is then, when you grab a hold of that truth, that you will rejoice whenever you need to go through sufferings because you will be seeing past those sufferings. I don't know if you remember Hebrews chapter 12, which says that that Jesus went to the cross knowing what he was going to go through for the joy that was set before him. He knew what was coming afterwards. And so he went through the difficult bit. And we can do the same. So Peter says that we shouldn't fear those that want to hurt us, but instead, verse 15 If you read it with me, he says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. The word sanctify means to set apart. Now in this context, it specifically refers to giving the Lord the primary place in your heart. It means that you submit to Him and to His guidance and control. It means that you submit to everything that He says you must do. It means that you set him apart from anything else that might steal your affection away from him. And let's be honest, you already know what kind of things want to steal your affection away from him. And I know for some of you it already has. And you didn't even realize it. The Lord is supposed to have the most important part of our hearts. You know, some people have referred to this, you know, as a sort of a picture, as the th- let him sit on the throne of your heart. And even though I appreciate the sentiment behind that, I, I do find that a little bit corny. But, but that is what it is, isn't it? You know, as believers, whether, whether or not we are going through some sort of unjust suffering, we should be setting the Lord um, apart in our hearts. He should be number one in our hearts. He must occupy the most important part of our hearts. That's what He wants from you. He wants you to obey Him. He wants you to honor Him, to love Him, to adore Him. And I would say that He deserves that. He really does. Peter says that you should sanctify the Lord in your hearts so why is that? Why in your heart? Well, because when you honor him and, you, and it's just something that you do externally, that's fake, isn't it? <laughs> that's fake. Um, it should start in the heart. Like Jesus said, whatever is in the heart will, will work itself outward. It should start right there. Whether or not you are suffering unjustly, keeping this context in mind. And it is this act of setting him apart and, and putting him in the primary place in your heart that will let you grow in confidence and courage and faith for those times that you need it most. Look at the rest of verse 15. I will read it from the start again. He says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. This hope 
that Peter is referring to is, of course, that hope that we have in us as a result of believing the gospel. It is actually used as a synonym for our faith. You know, you will remember Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says there, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, hoped for, for the evidence of things not seen. So because we have believed the gospel, we now have faith or, or hope in us that we will never, never experience the punishment of hell and, uh, and the fires of hell and all of the torments that go along with it because our sins have been dealt with by the Lord. That's our hope. And that we will, instead of going there, we will enter into His glory one day and we will be like, like that with Him forever. That's our hope. That's every believer's hope. And so if that is your hope today... Folks, you should always, always be ready and able to give a reason for that hope that is in you. Now, to expand on this a little bit more, this answer is a translation of a Greek word that also means defense. You can translate it either way. You will actually see that in some of the other English translations that it's translated as defense. It goes either way. But that gives you an idea of what Peter is saying here. You should always be able to defend what you believe in whenever somebody comes to ask you about it. But you know, we have a problem in Christianity. And when I talk about Christianity now, I'm I'm speaking about people that are actually saved. Okay, Let's just be on the same page here. But the problem that we have is that we have plenty of Christians that have absolutely no idea what they believe in or what the Christian faith is about. And so if anybody came their way and they asked them a question for the hope that they have or, or asked them a reason for the hope that they have, they will just stand there not knowing what to say. You know, they'll probably answer, well, go ask my pastor. <laughs> Folks, that's just not good enough. It's not good enough. Now, I'm not saying that you should be able to answer every single Bible question that, that somebody has, all right? You might not be able to do that, or that you should go into detail for every single theological term or idea that there is. That's not what, I, what I'm saying. You don't even have to convince them to start believing the same way that you believe. That's not the point of defending the faith. But you should at least have an answer ready for the most basic question of them all, which is, Why are you going to heaven when you die? Why do you think that? It's always surprised me, you know, when I I speak to somebody and they say that they're saved, and I ask them, oh, okay, so why do you say you're saved? Why do you say you're going to heaven? And they have absolutely no idea how to answer my question. Now, sure, not everybody is able to express themselves as well as others. I get that, all right? But, But come on, folks. If you've been saved from eternal punishment in a place which always burns with fire and brimstone, a place where there's always torments, and you've been saved from that, can't you say anything about it? Is there nothing that you can say? Is there no way that you can explain that to somebody? You mean, I mean, if, if, if a fireman rescues you from a burning building, and a reporter comes 10 years later and he asks you about that, you will be able to recount every single detail of what happened on that day, even though it was 10 years ago, right? I mean, we see that with the, the, the people that survived the 9-11 attacks there in New York and America. Um, it's now 20 years after that, 
And they are still able to tell people every single detail of what happened on that day. Folks, if you are not ready to give a defense for what you believe in, it's time to learn. It's not too late. It's not too late. All is not lost yet. Okay? It's not too late, but you need to get grounded in the Scripture now. It's time. Because if you are not able to give a biblical explanation of what you believe in, folks, you will be so insecure in your faith when somebody comes to challenge you on your faith. You won't be able to give them any answer. And it can even go so far that you start to doubt your own salvation or, or, or your eternal security and all of that. Believe me, I've been there. It happens. We need to be grounded in the Scripture. Only then will we be ready. So, okay, you ask, so, well, <laughs> how do I get ready? Well, folks, you can study. You can study. The Bible says in, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God. So if you're not sure where to begin, well, you know the, the church provides a basic Bible knowledge course here at the church. You know that. You, know, you will re- hear us refer to it as the discipleship class. But that's what it is. It's basic Bible knowledge. And you know what? It's free. It won't cost you a cent. And you can do it a hundred times if you want. You just need to show up. And, and then if you want to go ahead and arm yourself even more and get even more grounded, you know we have a Bible school, a free Bible school here at the church that you, that you can do. You don't even have to write any exams. You can just go there to learn. And of course, you can study yourself at home as well. You can study, but in the end... It will just come down to your own willingness to obey the Lord in this. You should always be ready. Always. Think to yourself today. (laughs) If somebody asks you today, why are you going to heaven? Why do you believe these things you say you believe? Is your answer, well, because Pastor Mike says so? It's not good enough. Really, it isn't. We don't believe in a man. We believe in God. We believe in His Word. And we're standing on His Word. And so if you find that you are not really standing today, folks, it's time. It's time to start. It's not something that happens overnight, that you get so grounded in Scripture. It's not. You know, we, we, we like to think of quick fixes. We like quick fixes, don't we? You know, at, at this point, if, if I want to know anything now... I just Google it. I've, I've, I've got like a supercomputer in my pocket. It's not even a very expensive one. <laughs> but I can Google it and I, I can get any answer I want. You know? If I'm sick, I want to be healthy now. <laughs> not, everything, not everything works that way. Grounding yourself in Scripture most certainly does not work that way. It takes time and it takes patience. It takes a willingness to do it um, even though you don't feel like it. It takes, that's faithfulness, by the way. That's, that's a definition for faithfulness. That's what it takes. But you must always be ready, folks. Not just when we are, if we are going through persecution or suffering unjustly. Always. He says there, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh a reason. Every man. Now, in the final part of this verse, 
in verse 15, and we'll end off here today, Peter describes the attitude with which you should give those answers. So look at there at the end. Oh, no, sorry. Let's read the entire thing again. He says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's the attitude which, with which you should give the answer. Meekness and fear. Now, meekness is another word for humility. Okay? So do it with humility. We should, we should preach the truth in love, as Ephesians 4 verse 15 tells us. But preach the truth in love. We don't compromise on the truth. We are firm on that. The truth is the truth. That's settled. All right? But when we give our defense, we can do it in a loving way. That's not the time to try and prove that you are right. That's, that's, that's when the pride starts to swell up. I, I, I believe most, if, if not all of you, have been in conversations like that where you, you just want to prove you're right. <laughs> that's when pride comes up. We don't do it so that we can feel good about ourselves or, or so that we can feel that we've won an argument or a debate. We don't do it for pats on the back from our friends. That's not why we do it. We do it because we believe in the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's why. So we do it with meekness. Lastly, Peter says to do it with fear. Now, this is not fearing those people that you are talking to, all right? We already settled that in verse 14, that um, be not be afraid of their terror, ne neither be troubled. Don't, don't be afraid of them. Don't be worried about these things. So, so that's not what that is. But instead, it is the fear of God. Do it with the fear of God. You do it because you respect the Lord and you respect His truth. That's why. That's the reason behind this. It's not a selfish reason. Reason. And you, you also do it with respect for those people that are asking you these things. So you say, how can I respect people, you know, like in that situation where Martin Luther was? How can I respect those people? Well, didn't Peter tell us here in, where was that, uh, chapter 2? Ah, oh, I don't find it now. But in chapter 2 he said, honor all men. Honor all men. <laughs> Even your enemies. We do it because we respect the Lord and we respect the people. Folks, we may or may not see persecution against Christians in this part of the world, you know, in our lifetimes. I don't know. I honestly don't know. But whether it happens or not, we need to keep on living good lives as the Lord expects. You know, we need to keep loving our neighbors as ourselves. We need to stay away from evil. All, the, all of these things we need to keep on doing. We need to keep on cultivating that in our lives and in our hearts. So most of what Peter writes here applies to every single one of us even though we're not seeing that type of, the same type of persecution that Christians are going through. We need to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. Is He number one in your life today, in your heart today? You don't need to answer me because that's an external thing like I said earlier. First settle the internal and then we'll talk about the external. Is He number one in your life today? It's a good question to ask yourself. And then, once you've placed him as num number one, get yourself ready to, uh, to give a defense for the faith that you believe in. Don't just rely on the pastor or the deacon or the assistant or, or anybody, you know, this friend or that friend. Don't just rely on them. 
Sure, you can pull in some help. Sure, obviously. We're here to help each other. But folks, you, you need to know what you are standing on. You need to know. Let's be ready to give a defense or an answer to every single person that asks us. If you're not, well, it's the 2nd of January. You know, this is the time when people start to make New Year's resolutions, you know, and they normally fail about two weeks from now, <laughs> if, it, if it's that long. Maybe, maybe don't make it a resolution. Maybe just make a decision today that, say, okay, I'm going to take it day by day. I don't know where I'm going to end up, but I'm going to take it day by day. I'm going to get grounded in the Word, in the faith. I want to get to know these things. I may not feel like it today. Okay, well, let's still do it. Sometimes it will, it will be easy. Other times it's going to be hard. Sometimes, like I said, you're going to feel like it. Other times not. But that's where faithfulness comes in, and that's, that's where character comes in. Let's take it day by day. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's bow our heads and pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you so much. Lord, I, I sometimes wonder if we've just grown so accustomed to seeing your word there on the bookshelf or next to the table or, or, or next to our beds on the table or wherever it's placed or when we come to church we're used to seeing a Bible Lord even here in front we have a big Bible and I, I sometimes wonder if we really still appreciate it for, for what it is Lord we want to ask you today to do something in our hearts for those, Lord, that already appreciate the Bible as it should, Lord, let them just fall more in love with it and with you. For those, those that don't, Lord, we ask that you will do something today and to help us all to get grounded in the faith and in your word. Lord, we, we want to be able to give an answer. We don't know if persecution is ever coming our way or what kind of persecution we have no idea you know you've seen the the future already <laughs> and lord that that's wonderful because that means you're the one consistent um, person throughout all of this and we know we can trust you lord we love you and we know you love us much more and we want to follow you please work in our hearts today and tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, until you come to fetch us. And help us to be useful followers of Christ. Thank you for all that you do. Please be with us. pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Amen. You have a good day. <laughs>